Welcome to ADHD Flourishing, about living awesomely with autism and ADHD. You deserve recognition for both the challenges and the superpowers of this unique neurotype. Let's celebrate wisdom and support from real-life stories, and talk strategies to manage the difficulties of day-to-day life so we can move beyond that to thriving and building a sustainable and awesome life. If you want to be here, you are accepted here, and you belong. I'm your ADHD host, Mattia Murray. Let's do this. Welcome. Today is a topic I feel incredibly passionate about and have a lot of personal connection to, which is why I hate the idea of potential. And in particular, the way that potential is used against neurodivergent and disabled children. This is something I experienced a lot as a kid, and I know a lot of people who did. And I feel really passionately about this because I feel like there's so many complicated topics wrapped up into this, so many intersectional issues that both end up telling a lot of children that they don't have what it takes and that they're not good enough. And then we grow up with this feeling of not feeling good enough and, or we maybe excelled in an area or in school and then really struggled as adults. And this goes back to this idea of talent and potential as something that's just inside you, as opposed to the more growth mindset about, you know, working hard and learning and failing and learning through failure. And I'm actually not going to talk as much about the sort of growth mindset aspect of that, because I feel like that's been covered really well in a lot of other places. What I'm here to talk about is how damaging the idea of potential is for a lot of neurodivergent and disabled kids and what happens when we grow up. So looking quickly at the dictionary definition in Merriam-Webster, potential as a noun can be something that can develop or become actual, and as an adjective, something that it is existing in possibility or capable of development into actuality. So something that exists or is close to existing, basically, something that could become something. As I was putting my notes together, I had the thought, I actually love the idea of potential energy or kinetic energy. And for me, that idea or metaphor fits much better with my self-concept as a neurodivergent person. I feel like I have a lot of potential energy or kinetic energy. My body often, often, it feels like it has too much. Sometimes my brain certainly feels like it's overloaded a lot of the time with ideas and concepts and just activity, right? So the reason I wanted to bring up that idea of potential energy is because I actually feel comforted by that, by this idea that there's a lot inside me that's moving, that's active, or, you know, in the case of kinetic energy, maybe is uh, about to fall off the table and activate that kinetic energy. So This idea, though, that there's just innate talent, which is, I feel, how a lot of people use potential, even though it's not really as obvious in the dictionary definition. I think the way a lot of people talk about potential is you have an innate talent or skill, and you are simply not working hard enough to get it out into the world. That's how I had the idea of potential wielded as a weapon against me. And There are so many examples of difficulties and challenges children are going through that make it difficult to do what we might otherwise have a potential for or a talent for. And I saw a really great 
way of putting this the other day, which was, and this was by a neurodivergent and disabled person. I'm trying to think of the creator. If I think of it, I will put it in the show notes, but I'm not remembering right now. And it was basically, you may have seen me do something before, and that doesn't mean I can do it now because my current ability to do something is both my actual ability, my physical or mental ability to do the thing, which may exist, plus my current capacity. And if my current capacity is low for whatever reason, I don't actually really have the ability to do this thing right now, even if I've done it before. And when people look at children, especially in a school system, which to be fair, I did not experience because I was homeschooled, but when you look at the way kids are treated in school from what I've heard, if you are at all functional in that system, if you're doing okay, and certainly if you are perceived as excelling in school, most of the time, nobody bothers to check in on you, even if you're showing signs of depression or abuse, as long as it's not super over the top, nobody's going to check in on you. And it's not because they don't care about you. It's because there's too many kids in a classroom. Typically schools, a lot of schools don't have enough resources. There just simply are not enough adults to go around for the number of issues that kids might be having. And so if you were doing sort of okay, you probably did not get taken care of in the way that you might have needed. And that's where this issue of potential becomes such a problem, right? Because adults have seen this child do something before. So there's that aspect. There's like, well, you've done this before. You did well in this subject before, or you did well in this test before. And there's no acknowledgement of what might be affecting that child's capacity, even at a very simple day-to-day level, like a bad night of sleep, you know, a pet or a family member dying. That's something where the teacher might take notice and say, oh, of course, you're going to have a hard time. But even just with that example, neurodivergent kids and adults often grieve harder and longer than neurotypical people. So by the time people think that kid maybe, quote, should be getting back to normal, this kid is still in full physical grief process. And then as those kids are growing up, those kids who did not have their needs met and who were being told, you can do anything, which I remember thinking that that was true as a kid. I really did think that was true. I could tell that I had a lot of ability and in particular ability with learning. I knew I could learn things, even if I didn't have any quote latent talent in that area. I knew that I could learn. And one of the upsides of playing a string instrument from a young age is I knew I could learn hard things because string instruments are really hard to learn. (laughs) And I knew I wasn't just innately talented. I knew it was from years and years of practice. But then as I was growing up, one of the few things that I could look to to see if I was meeting all this potential I'd been told I had was external markers of success. For example, many of my friends have doctorate degrees or got a good salary with great benefits right out of college or are reaching these big creative milestones like having an opera professionally produced. And because of my disabilities making it impossible for me to do that level of work that young, plus not having the family money or connections that often jumpstart artistic careers early, I was, for the first five years out of college, looking around and saying, oh my god, how on earth are people doing these things? Because I was struggling just to buy groceries and not have panic attacks on the bus. And I actually found it upsetting when people would tell me that I had potential, especially in my teens and young adult years, because 
I agreed to some extent. I was like, yes, there's something here. I know that I can do some stuff, but my body and brain were absolutely not on board with actually doing those things. And I needed to do a ton of trauma work before I could get myself to do most of those things. One other reason I hate the idea of potential, this is a very personal reason, trigger warning, skip ahead 45 seconds if you don't want to hear a mention of suicide. Skip ahead 45 seconds if you don't want to hear this. Two of the most talented, impressive, intelligent people I've ever met in my life both killed themselves young. And one of them, it was specifically around the idea of potential. He knew he had the capacity to cure cancer, but he wanted to be an artist. And while that obviously wasn't the only factor or reason, those societal messages are incredibly damaging to gifted kids. And having seen that happen to people close to me and having felt very similar feelings myself, not quite the same, but along those lines, just this idea that I was not enough, that I was not living up to some standard that someone had set for me that I didn't understand and that no one was helping me reach. I don't know if you can hear the frustration in my voice, but this is an idea that has really stuck with me and that has taken so much work around to get to a point of being okay. And in my own worldview or paradigm of change or whatever, the solution for me was a blend of both changing my view around what potential even means, but also doing the internal body-based work of meeting my own internal feeling of not enoughness, that deep wound and then also, in part, figuring out what my actual capacity was and stretching my capacity without snapping. And when a lot of people are addressing this idea of potential, they just talk about the capacity part. But the practical side of that, just doing more or learning how to do more, doesn't actually address the deep wound and the shame underneath that I'm not enough, I'm not doing enough, I'm not being enough, I can never produce enough ask me how I know. <laughs> I was doing a lot of trauma work and I was building my capacity and I actually expanded my capacity quite a bit. But all that was doing for me was making me into a workaholic because as I had capacity, the only thing that made me feel like I was enough was working. So I was just doing more and doing more. And if you take one thing away from this, I hope a part of you can deeply hear me as I say this and just start to embody this, to have this idea that I'm about to share sink in over time and really take root or just grow into whatever you need, you will never be too much for me and you will never produce too little for me. You are enough. You are being enough. You are doing enough and you are enough just as you are. So if I hate the idea of potential, what am I proposing to fill that gap? Because it is just this huge space in my brain that I've been trained to think about and orient toward and try to work as hard as possible. And of course, there's this capitalist notion of producing as much as you can and being the ideal cog in the machine. So if you do the thing that you're best at, at your highest capacity, you will be producing in theory, the highest amount of total output or value that you can create. And I think that that's part of what we're trained to do. In a perfect world, the model that I would prefer would be just fully honoring your body's desires and needs 
and following your passion, staying in flow, right? Doing what feels good, all of those things. And that's the ideal. It takes an epic shit ton of privilege to be able to start from that place. And that's what I was seeing right out of college when I was seeing some folks, you know, being able to get these great jobs or getting these great artistic gigs. They had connections and they had physical ability and capacity and, and, or support, right? Because I did know people who struggled, but they had family support to, you know, help cover their bills for a while, or they were able to live at home, like all these things that created a level of support. And so without that, because a lot of us don't have that, and a lot of us have, you know, really big, significant problems or are caretaking for family members, etc. You know, you add on more and more challenges to this. And really, I think what ends up happening, what I would replace potential with for most regular people just sort of having difficult lives is being able to use some of that energy in the body and brain to do things that are interesting to you that fulfill some or progress you towards some longer term interest or goal. And to go back to that idea of potential energy, that there's some amount of energy there in every system, no matter how tired you are, your body is still doing things, right? At a cellular level, your body is doing things. And if all you have the capacity for for a while is just to heal and just to use, let the body do its own thing, like that was me for the first five years of my 20s, basically. And maybe another way of putting this is getting your brain and body on board. So instead of meeting some external marker of success with potential, just having your brain and body be able to do what they're able to do and to be able to at least put some energy toward things that feel good to you, which may or may not be big, impressive external things for quite a while. And this can be a lot slower than anyone wants. And that's another big point I have today. I wanted to move a lot faster. And I was willing to dig in and do really intense trauma work and really intense therapy. And I did that for a long time. I was like, hell yeah, I'm just jumping in. And I was always looking for practitioners who were willing to help me move really, really fast, which by the way, is something that drew me to hypnosis in the first place, even though where I've kind of reached as a practitioner is sure we can do this. There are things we can do fast, but because it's a somatic and body-based process, If you're not comfortable in the body, hypnosis is not a great method because what's the point in working fast if the body can't integrate it and feel good and actually continue doing these things on its own, right? You don't always want to have to rely on a practitioner. To use a personal story, I worked with a coach a couple years ago who finally convinced me to do less. Uh, That took a lot, by the way. I think I've talked about this on the podcast before that I have all of these interests. I have all of these things that I love. Some of them can kind of be combined in interesting ways, right? Like I can do lyrics instead of poetry and then the music and poetry come together. So many different ways of working with interdisciplinary art. But then when you get out into my other interests in trauma healing and all these modalities that I just find fascinating and concepts around change and how the brain works and neuroplasticity, Yeah, I could maybe wrap all of these things into a single career, but that feels like a stretch. And it's actually not as interesting to me because part of what I want is to be in a room of 
musicians and composers and hear all of their ideas and then be in a room of hypnotists and hear all their cool ideas. So, you know, I like being in different spaces and I'm not just trying to collapse everything into one space. That said, when I worked with this coach who finally kind of got through to me that if I want to be creating the caliber of work that I want to as an artist, I need more time. And I knew that, but I was kind of resisting it because I was happy enough with a bunch of smaller projects that maybe weren't expressing exactly what I was trying to express, but at least I was working as a composer and poet. And that felt good. And there's nothing wrong with that. So absolutely nothing wrong with that. And I knew that I wanted to pursue a higher level of mastery in multiple areas. And that means I either have to find ways to make those overlap, or I need to do a more cyclical process where I work on one for a while or two for a while, but I can't work on five different things at once at a high level because I need deep work. I need time in flow. I need, you know, space around these things. So as I finally was doing less, one of the things that was difficult for me to process during that time, but that ended up being incredibly helpful and truly changed my life was processing how in my mind, if I took a break from one of these types of projects, so for example, if I just didn't write words for a while, or if I didn't compose for a while, all of that stuff around potential came up, all the stuff around talent and hard work and all these messages I received as a child came up. And my brain would be saying things like, oh, if I haven't you know, composed in two months, or if I haven't practiced violin in two months, which definitely happens, if I have, if I'm not doing these things actively, if I'm not doing all of them all at once, I am missing out on my potential in these areas. And I am never, ever going to be good enough. I'm never going to reach what I'm trying to reach. And most people believe that they just have to work harder and do more. And the main acceptable model that I see people using outside of that is the idea of working smarter, not harder. But I'm going a step beyond that. I think if you truly learn to honor your body and brain's capacity and build systems that are not wasting your willpower, doing boring stuff you hate, <laughs> not only does your capacity gently expand over time, but you create space in your life for using your true skills and genius. And I don't know for myself if I'm doing that as well as I could be right now. I'm probably not, but I'm very happy with my day-to-day -day life. I am working on multiple long-term projects that I can do in this sort of cyclic way that keeps my interest engaged. And I'm making some cool art and I'm helping people on the other side of my business where I'm, you know, coaching and working with people. So I've brought a lot of these, you know, different ideas and skills and talents together in a variety of ways without trying to just squish them all into a single career. And it sounds really simple when I'm just describing, you know, the relative end goal I'm at right now, not that I'm at the end of my career, but just, you know, I'm at a midpoint in my career where things are going well, I'm getting a lot of requests, but I want to validate that if that just feels totally ridiculous and unachievable for you for whatever the corollary is in your life, finding that support and figuring those things out was incredibly difficult. 
And I want to talk about why it was so difficult to figure out what I needed and what I wanted to do. I know it's partly because of being neurodivergent and having so many interests, but for everybody, there really are individualized components of figuring out what works for your body and brain. And especially being ADHD for me and having a PDA profile, pathological demand avoidance, having all of that going on meant a lot of the advice I was hearing just didn't work for me. And then when I look at other people's experiences, it was a lot easier for me to have compassion for them and see their limitations as just a fact and not a big deal and tell them, of course you deserve rest. And of course, resting will, you know, (laughs) work better in the long run, no matter what. But when I'm focused on my own situation, when I'm looking internally, it's easier to fall back into neuronormative bullshit about how rest is just about feeling good enough to get back to productivity. And this is why I found neurodivergent community to be so important because it helps me get out of that really shaming frame of mind and recognize how differently I respond when someone else is saying the same thing that I'm feeling. And when I was looking for help and support, another thing that made it hard to find that community or the spaces that I was looking for are a lot of the programs out there, courses, teachers, mentors, et cetera, masterminds that are supposed to help you advance your career in whatever area. In my opinion, having looked at and been a part of a number of these programs, a lot of them are really stuck in old techniques In my, again, in my opinion, just around, you know, and a lot of them are saying, oh, we're teaching, you know, things that will apply to anything in the future, but it's not true. They're giving you like really specific things to do on Instagram, for example. And those things worked for them because they were doing it three or four years ago. But technology advances so quickly that a lot of what I was learning, I was looking around and I was like, this, I don't think this is right anymore. Like, I don't think this is how this works. And the algorithm changes all the time. That's a whole other thing. I could probably do a whole episode just on what I'm talking about right now. But when I was looking for programs, teachers, mentors, etc., there was a lot of this being stuck in old techniques. There was a lot of not aligning with my own very developed sense of justice and ethics. There was a lot of people implying or outrightly saying that if you do exactly what they tell you, that this will pay off and it will work. Even though I think most teachers know that what they're doing doesn't work for everyone in their program. And again, just from my perspective, a lot of what I was seeing was that a lot of the people for whom it doesn't work are the neurodivergent and disabled folks or the folks who don't have a big network of wealthy people who can buy their stuff. So a lot of what people end up doing is paying a lot just to be in the room and network and then not have that program pay off. And I was only in, I would say, one program where I felt like it just really didn't pay off for me. And then one other one where it was really good, but it was too expensive for what it was. And in both of those cases, I'm kind of looking around and I was like, you know, I think this teacher is nice and has great intentions, but man, I really hate a lot of this messaging (laughs) and I don't want to be like this. I don't want to be this kind of person in the world as a creative, as an entrepreneur, certainly not as a teacher myself. But the reason that I kept searching and that I kept trying things, even when sometimes I kind of knew going in that it probably wasn't going to be the right fit. The reason I kept trying for a really long time is because I was raised to be so afraid of not meeting my own potential. And what I was hoping for, my secret hope in the back of my mind, 
was that I would just find that perfect teacher or mentor who could look at the diverse interests in my life and help me pull all the threads together into a single strong rope that could sustain me forever because I had this almost perfectionistic urge to turn everything into a single business and a single routine. And even though I wasn't sure exactly what that looked like, I kept being attracted to teachers who said that they were good at helping me figure out my genius. And so if somebody said that they could help me with this thing, and I I did actually, the, the one that I was really disappointed by was somebody who literally was describing exactly what I'm describing to you. And I was like, oh, great. This is exactly what I've been looking for. I've been looking for somebody who can help me do exactly this. And then the actual program design was such that she wasn't really talking to us at all. She was just splitting us off into little cohorts with little co-teachers. And I absolutely did not get the support at all. Like it, it just didn't do at all what it said in the description. And I didn't realize that until it was too late to ask for a refund. So, and again, I really do think that that person had good intentions, but I remember just kind of looking back at what I'd been told I was going to get and just being like, wow, I never want to do this to anyone. And that's why I do give refunds because I think the policy in the coaching world of having little to no refunds to me just doesn't make sense. Like if you are offering a product, even if, or a service, if you're offering a service, if it's not what you said it was going to be, I think you should refund people. And again, that's my, you know, autistic ethical self-talking. But before I go too far down that rabbit hole, I did meet exactly one person. I had one or a couple sessions with someone, one person who didn't tell me to do less but actually said it sounded like I was describing five separate businesses and maybe what I needed was multiple teams around me to help me take those big ideas and actually put them into action if I really want to do them. And that was actually really validating, not because I necessarily want to go that route, but because it was cool to have someone reflect back to me, oh, my vision actually is too big for me to do. I actually can't do this. You know, I I physically cannot as a human being in one lifetime do all of these big ideas that I have and that's okay. And that also helped me change my approach to my work and my life because realizing that no, I actually can't see my vision through alone and I have to build teams and systems and potentially companies if I want to do these things or community groups, right? I'm saying companies just because that's what this person said, but you know, whatever the structure around it is, I have to work with other people if I want to do these things that I want to do. So with the resources I have now, with the brain I have now, if I don't want to burn out, I have to pare down and do less because burnout is a really real risk for neurodivergent folks and creatives in general, I would say, because we tend to be overworked and undervalued. I feel like on the whole, this episode is raising more questions than answers. And that's because I really can't tell you what to do with this information, but I hope it's helpful and validating to hear because I think so many of us have had this idea of potential weaponized against us. And for me, it just hurt so much for so long. I just had this huge wound around it. I mean, it's probably still there, but I've done a lot with it once I recognized what it was. And I've done so much that looking back, It's almost hard for me to really remember, like physically remember how miserable I used to be. And part of that misery was 
really intense negative self-talk because part of me really believed that negative self-talk was the only way to get things done. My experience was so driven by anxiety and adrenaline because I didn't know how to partner with my very delicate and very sensitive body and nervous system. It was easier to just dissociate and push through and be in this big cycle of burning out over and over. It's actually really socially acceptable to be busy and to be burnt out and to be miserable. There's very little societal model for stepping outside of that and actually feeling good, honoring my body's limits, and spending less time working, but having it be really high priority and high impact work. Which, by the way, as I've been trying to do that more in my life, it's genuinely scary. So that's why I had to learn so much nervous system, somatic embodiment work around being seen, being big and bright, which is a phrase that's been on my mind for a long time, being comfortable with taking risks, because there is very little support around that kind of emotional expansion. And I feel like a lot of us are just hurtling toward the next thing, feeling totally unsupported and totally unmoored and ungrounded. And I want us to have more support, more groundedness, more capacity. And that is so much easier in community. We need to be seen and heard. And personally, I've learned so much about self-compassion through feeling natural compassion for people I care about and respect. And then I can embody that compassion for them. And then it's so much easier to give it back to myself. Community is very much on my mind because we're coming to the end of the launch of this current Love Your Brain round, which starts in July and runs through November. There are a couple spots left with sliding scale and... Otherwise, I don't plan to take new clients until 2024. So if you are interested, you can take a look at the link in the bio. My biggest focus this time around has been building a cohort of people who are going to fit together awesomely and whose projects kind of fit together. And I'm really excited about the folks we already have on board. So that's why I've been thinking a lot about this community aspect, because while I am leading this space, Part of my goal is to empower everyone to really feel and embody and know deeply that they are enough and that they have leadership capacity, teaching capacity, you know, whatever it is in their work, right? For writers that they can write these really cool pieces and really impact people that I think it's so much easier for us to feel that when we're in a group. And so I'm excited for myself as well to be able to be inspired by these folks. You don't need me or any particular program to get you where you want to go. And the right thing at the right time can feel really fortuitous. I just wanted to list the modalities that I'm playing with right now and working with people. You don't have to use all of these if you work with me, but I just think this is such a funny blend. I'm learning some IFS-based parts work right now, specifically somatic parts work and especially around unburdening parts. I already have a lot of somatic skills. I'm a hypnotist. I'm learning archetypal astrology, which is really cool. And then unshaming is the other big practice that I use. It's just such a weird blend. And if that sounds interesting to you and you're neurodivergent, and if you're overall in a place right now where you have some capacity to add some accelerant to your process while keeping your nervous system safe, that's what Love Your Brain is for. 
It's for folks who've built some portion of their creative or entrepreneurial career. And they're just like, you know what? I am feeling stuck and I'm not sure what to do next. And if you're neurodivergent, I think being surrounded by people like you is just so much easier for self-compassion rather than trying to learn a system that honestly was not developed for your brain. So I built this for neurodivergent people entirely. That's everybody who's going to be in the room. So it's going to be a great little group of about 10 people. And the other thing I'm considering doing, but have not completely decided yet. So let me know if you want this is just the co-working parts. Cause we're going to be co-working together for a couple hours a week. I might make it so people can join just for the co-working parts and not all of the coaching and teaching parts, uh, and maybe give, you know, recordings of some of the workshops, but not the, you know, group coaching parts or the one-on-one coaching. And if that's something that sounds interesting to you to just join for co-working, let me know because I would have to like build that into my system, but I think it could be cool for people to just have just a little bit of the community part, but you know, obviously cost way, way less because you're just showing up for a couple hours a week for co-working. So anyway, if that sounds interesting to you, let me know because if I get a couple requests for that, then I might actually make that a thing and tell you about it officially later if it becomes an actual thing. And last thing I'll add to that about my own potential is that when I started my coaching business four years ago now, I was still very much in that feeling of not enoughness myself. And I've learned so much and come so far. And the ideas I had at the beginning of my business about what a business needed to look like and what I needed to do and, you know, my potential within that or whatever. So much of that has just dissolved as I've done my own work. And this time around this particular launch, I was just feeling so much resistance to traditional marketing and I just didn't want to do it. And so I only put out content around love your brain and only talked about it when I really wanted to. I put out way less content than I usually do around a product or launch or whatever, but I was putting so much heart into it that every time I put out a piece of content, I think with one exception, every time I put out a piece of content, someone reached out to me about love your brain or applied directly, including strangers. And in my brain, that was not a thing that could happen because all the things I'd been taught about marketing and how you do this stuff and how you show people your potential or their potential, right? If, you know, for the results that they think they can achieve in this space, blah, blah, blah. I was just so over all of that. And I just could not bring myself to give a fuck. So I just did what felt good to me this time around. And it was so effective and so easy. And while that's not the point of the program, if you're an entrepreneur and you're listening to this, I just want to empower you to trust your instincts do what feels good, only follow teachers who really feel good to you. I actually have only had one teacher ever who talked about money in a way that I thought was really good and actually aligned with my values. And he's going to be on my podcast. So I'm excited about that. And you can learn from people and absorb people's, you know, public information, free information, stuff that they have available, listen to people's podcasts. You don't have to agree with everything they're saying. But you can get a lot from that and then make your own decisions, trust yourself, you know, be in your own sovereignty and being able to really do that this time around and feel really solid in that was a bit of a shock, (laughs) honestly, to my system. I have been so used to seeking help and needing a teacher and I still like receiving help and I have teachers, 
but this just felt really different. And I wanted to share that sort of meta view of what's happening because I know some of you have been following my work for years and just sharing that I'm doing this work myself. I'm embodying this stuff and I'm definitely still on my own path, especially when it comes to accessibility and how to help as many people as possible while still getting my needs met and not burning out myself. And that's honestly still the biggest challenge I work with. And I don't think there's a right answer. I think it's just finding balance and continuing to figure that out as things move along. So I hope some of that was helpful for you. I will be posting this over on the ADHD Flourishing podcast as well. And if you have any interest in working with me anytime this year, reach out now-ish because this will probably be the last chance until 2024. And next year, I'm probably only going to run Love Your Brain once and not starting right away in the year. So it won't be happening right away again. It'll be next spring or summer starting again, most likely. But also, no FOMO. You don't need me. Do your thing. You're awesome. Have a great week and I'll talk to you next week. Thank you. I hope that sparked some ideas or possibilities for your own journey. If you'd like to go deeper, I invite you to click on the link in the show notes to learn more about Love Your Brain and apply when you're ready. I've taken the Ethical Move pledge for transparent, responsible, and honest marketing. So both the sales page and the application itself are designed to reinforce your powerful autonomy, get you excited about your own desires, and help you figure out what your ideal looks like. If I can help you accelerate those dreams in some way, I would love to. And if we're not the right fit, I will be honest about that. I'd love to hear what's on your heart and mind because you deserve fulfillment and peace of mind. That link is in the show notes or at mattiamarae.com, M-A-T-T-I-A-M-A-U-R-E-E.com slash love hyphen your hyphen brain.